Hi there, friends. This is episode three of season three of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff, and I'm a pastor and an author, and uh, I host this uh, fun podcast about spiritual practices, and season three has been all focused around prayer walking. Uh, this might turn into maybe a shorter season, um, but uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I decided this conversation that I began with Robin Magali around labyrinths uh, to split this into two. So this is actually part two of a conversation. So you need to go back to episode two of this season uh, to get part one. Um, where we talked a bunch about labyrinths. And then uh, there was just so much that we got into in this interview that I wanted to um, span this over to. Um, just this happened in the last season as well when I had Dana Trent on talking about the examine. And uh, it was just too much and uh, and too rich for really one time of uh, of sitting with it to digest it. So I hope this has been helpful for you to have uh, these two parts like this. Um, maybe this is a trend that'll continue. We'll see. Um, but this uh, second conversation, we kind of dive a little bit deeper and maybe into some of the background of labyrinths, maybe some things for sure, things I didn't know, maybe some things you didn't know about them. Um, and we talk, uh, we touch on a little bit on uh, Robin's uh, other work that she does where she's actually a metalsmith and makes some really beautiful uh, items, mostly jewelry that she makes, but um, that's uh, actually a real calling for her. So uh, we do touch on that for a bit. Uh, hang in there because there's some really fascinating stuff right toward the end of of this and uh, it'll sound like it is wrapping up uh, at about maybe the 20 to 25 minute mark uh, but it uh, but then it, then we restart a little bit so uh, hang in for that and uh, and and make it right the way to the end on this one I encourage you to do that and uh, yeah so yeah enjoy this uh, part two of this conversation this whole focus on walking prayer, like prayer walking is really great because a lot of people find it difficult to, you know, sit and concentrate. Um, and so just by the simple act of, of walking, it can help you focus. Now I find the pattern of the labyrinth itself and it's, um, the way it, it kind of twists and turns and, and keeps you present to the path, um, just adds an element that's really, that really, helps the the focus what's interesting i i think i think this is fascinating um is that there were some neuroscience um experiments um if that's the right term (laughs) i'm not a scientist at all but anyway um there was yeah there was some research that was done uh, of people walking the labyrinth and what they found was that what was going on was that the left and right hemisphere of the brain were actually coming into alignment when someone walked the labyrinth and so there wasn't one area that was dominant it was like actually you know helping someone to come into balance and that very thing that goes on in the brain is what helps us do be open to reflection and to transformation and to change um, and to to seeing ourselves more more deeply. So I just think that that's there is something about the twists and turns of the labyrinth that that just automatically creates a space where um, where we're open to reflecting. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever like so you've made labyrinths and then yeah. like has there ever do you have like a certain labyrinth that you are really familiar with like that you would go and walk and you and you kind of know it like I'm 
I don't walk it, walk the labyrinth enough to be familiar enough to kind of know sort of what the next turn is going to be. Oh, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's an interesting question. A lot of people get asked, like, what's your favorite labyrinth or that kind of thing? Like Lauren Archer will, will talk about the shark labyrinth being her, you know, the labyrinth of her heart. Um, yeah, I, because I've, I've made, so there's different names to the labyrinth, like the one I talked about that's 4,000 years old, um, is typically called the Cretan labyrinth or the classical labyrinth. If people Google that pattern, it kind of, people go, oh, that kind of looks like a brain. Um, it has fewer turns. When I started walking labyrinths, I actually really liked it. Um, and Lauren Archer would always say, she would say to me, well, it's because you can have a party in that labyrinth, right? Because you're, <laughs> and something about there's fewer turns. So you're just, you're on your way and you're, you're free without having to go, oh, like I'm, I'm turning a, a lot. Um, and so I think in my younger years that just, it was a little bit, I don't know, I, I liked it more until I did the, the labyrinth at Five Oaks was um, the pattern of the Chartres Cathedral labyrinth, um, which is quite large and has lots of turns. And um, so I'm, I'm very familiar with that one. And the one that I would typically do on canvas was just a slightly smaller version of that Chartres or what then gets called a modified medieval labyrinth. Um, I do think about, you know, you were touching on this a little bit about that distraction or, you know, what's going on in the room or what's going on outside or what materials is the labyrinth made out of. I find there's a really big difference for me between walking an indoor labyrinth where there's what you would say fewer distract. I'm able to, well, it's interesting to talk about this because I would say I'm able to go deeper, but I don't think that's quite the way. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm very much reflecting more, on just what's going on internally without any of the external kind of um, input. Right. Whereas walking an outdoor labyrinth is more about, it does end up being the interplay between what am I noticing outside of me um, and how that impacts my inner life. So it's not that one is better than the other at all. They both serve their purpose. So, you know, if I'm seeing a bird and for whatever reason that's speaking to me, it's like, what? Well, yeah, like, why is this speaking to me at this moment? Or there's this beautiful labyrinth in Concordon, Ontario, that is, was done um, by the Horticultural Society that is all made of flowers. Hmm. And it's beautiful. And I felt the same way. I was starting to walk it thinking, this is really distracting. Like, I'm just like, these flowers are beautiful until it quickly switched to, well, of course, like God is inviting me to notice the deep beauty in the world. And so just be immersed in it, like enjoy this walk of being immersed in the beauty and notice and pause and, and take it in. Right. Um, so, so that was a, I loved that walk. It was full of, it was full of delight um, and full of just, yeah, feeling like I'm a part of this amazing, this amazing world <laughs> that God has created, um, and this beauty is around me. So, so yeah, it does, I think there are different experiences in terms of what the, what the labyrinth's made out of. I, I I'm just going to add to a little bit, just what popped into my head is, um, cause people will sometimes, um, 
people will put a labyrinth somewhere like outdoors and they'll say it's accessible, meaning someone in a walker or a wheelchair can um, use it, which is really, really wonderful. However, if they put, if the, what's called the fields, so there's the path and then what marks the path is called the fields. If those are made of higher material, so say if it's outside and there's um, some raised stone, then even if the path is wide enough for a wheelchair to get through, that raised stone means that someone is stuck inside the labyrinth if they feel that their path their their journey is leading them to get off at any point which they're entitled to do as a part of right so i always say if your paths are raised at all it's no longer accessible so that's just my little rant my little beef with uh (laughs) what i always i get consulted um quite a bit with uh churches or groups that are are wanting to put in a labyrinth somewhere and that's always what i say like you need to think about all the details all the materials or if you're wanting it to be accessible, it needs to be fully accessible. Yeah. So this, this labyrinth that. near uh, in Kings Park near our church, um, they have a, they have a little exit from the center, mm. um, which is kind of a nice feature. And then there's a description like on on the on the sign that's there that um, you know points that out and mm-hmm. makes it clear that you, you don't have to like you can walk out the normal way mm-hmm. um, but it actually provides that sort of a, a way out once there's not ways easy ways out because there's a lot of flowers they don't really want people you know barreling over flowers that are in between right. they don't right. really want people um there's some hedge and that kind of thing like yeah. low hedge um so you can't really get out from everywhere but yeah. they provide a way out so you don't necessarily have to go all the way back out. You, right. you can get out once you're in the middle if, if you see. Yeah, so that's good. They've it's created not, a little bit of a modification. A, so A little bit. And, and yeah. I did like that. I thought that's a, I think that's a good idea as well. So we can let people know as well, like you can, you can get out, at, should be able to get out at any point, really. Yeah, exactly. That's important. Yeah. I think also there's some, like some powerful metaphors. There's the sort of the following the journeying metaphor. Um, one of the things that I thought about too, and you might want to comment on this as someone who's like created labyrinths is one of the things that I like about um, walking a labyrinth as opposed to kind of being on a on a trail or something like that which I probably love more but I but the the metaphor of the labyrinth is helpful is that even though I know that there's only one path that it's going to lead to the center and that it's going to lead out I can't actually see as the person walking it I can't actually see that path like I can only see the path in front of me, but I can't. Um, this may be why I asked about the predictability. Mm-hmm. If if it's a new labyrinth or you're not as familiar, then you can't predict really where things are like the entire path. Like you can only really see the entire path from above. Right. Which is, which to me is kind of an interesting thing to think about is that yeah. with our life being like that, like, you know, like you can't it, fully it, see from the above is God. God, God, what, God can see it, but, right. but we can't. You know. Yeah. Like you don't know where the next turn is coming or, right. or what's happening or, or you know, what is, or what is really around the next corner or, or what you expect. Yeah. Or what you expect, right? Like the labyrinth patterns, some of them you're, you feel like you're making your way due to the center. And then on the next turn, you're all of a sudden back you're back out on the wider yeah, edge yeah. and you're like, wait a second. So if you have this perception of, well, the goal is the center and now all of a sudden, like I was making my way in and wait a second, I'm now like way out. Um, 
I mean, those things are interesting to play with. Like that whole, the, the whole thing of reflecting on, well, why did I think the center was the goal anyway? Right. right? Isn't it just sort of the noticing of each step and each moment and, and the path? Maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm just like exploring this. Um, and then, yeah, when life feels like you're, you're making your way to the goal and all of a sudden you're taken in this different direction, which happens to all of us. Um, what does that mean? How do we, how do we react? What's going on within us um, when that takes place? So, yeah, I mean, Wait, you ask me if I know particular labyrinth patterns a lot. I wouldn't say, I don't know, no, like every time I walk a labyrinth, I wouldn't say that I, I know what's coming. Like I may be very familiar with walking the labyrinth, but for me, it's not like, oh, I know what's coming because I don't, I don't know what's coming internally. I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what this labyrinth walk is really about. I have found, and I needed to reflect on this recently, that walking a labyrinth that I made, we talk about distracting, because I'm just looking at, oh, like that part wasn't done so well or whatever, which again, it's just like, okay, right, Robin, if you're going to reflect on what this is like, like, do you do this all the time in your own life? Like, like point trying to see and point out all the ways I've gone wrong or what wasn't done well or what. So it was just like, oh, I just start laughing at myself. Like, <laughs> That's really yeah. good. I think too, like in a way, uh, as you walk the labyrinth there, it's funny to think about you walking your own one, but I feel like you're, I'm in some ways I'm putting my trust in whoever it is that designed this labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, even like, I know my, my old reactions to things like walking the labyrinth or even like other spiritual practices were always kind of skepticism or, well, this is like, do we really need this? Like we already have the Bible. Like, can we just read then we've got the Psalms. Let's just read the Psalms. Right. Um, and, uh, but then I'm not necessarily like, I feel like taking the step of actually walking into a labyrinth to me is, ends up being a metaphor for trusting in God. So am I, am I even using something like the Bible to say, oh, actually I'm going to be in control. I'm a, I'm a minister. I've gone to seminary. I've been trained in how to do exegesis of the scriptures. Like, am I trying to just keep myself in control here rather than say, Oh, I'm going to take steps and I don't, and it's kind of into the unknown. I don't really know what God is going to do. Yeah, that's really cool. I have found that the people that I've worked with that were the most skeptical had the most transformative experiences, which was pretty amazing for them to walk, like to say like, ah, this, this is ridiculous. Or yeah, right. Something's going to happen. Or, you know, it's not that something's going to happen. Like I actually set it up. I'm like, don't expect anything to happen. It's not, it's not like that. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then something happens and (laughs) yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh, interesting. I also, I've reflected a lot on, um, I think the, the theology that gets ignored the most is the incarnation. Meaning like we're incarnate, like if you talk about prayer walking, I mean, walking, like acknowledging that we have bodies, <laughs> that those are gift, that somehow God speaks through our moving and our being in, in flesh. Um, and how that, I don't know, like, I just want to ponder that whole link to the, the incarnation, like we're incarnate. Can, are we, are we like, are we part of divine incarnation? Um, and how does, yeah, how does being invited into moving and exploring the promptings of our bodies or the interaction between moving and our, and, and our spiritual lives, I just find all that really fascinating to ponder. Well, and I think like if, um, 
if it was really just about like downloading information, mm-hmm. like if it's, and, and I, I don't want to like, obviously I think we should be reading the Bible <laughs> like, and we should be like learning. I, I think that's important. But if it was only sort of this head knowledge kind of yeah. thing and our bodies weren't involved, then, then sort of like, what is God doing in Jesus? Like, yeah. Um, it's and, not fully. And you, yeah. yeah. And you can jump to the, like I know lots of people kind of just sort of almost skip the incarnation like you like you're mm-hmm. saying we don't pay attention to that kind of skip to the cross um and resurrection um but even then thinking about like sacramental theology it's like well so yeah. Jesus gives us like it's not just not just that he's God incarnate God among us but also I, I want you to actually ingest my body and my blood <laughs> you know like um like um, yeah my body into your body like that's ooh, oh my goodness like there's something going on there that we need to pay right. yeah I think it's all yeah I I I think pondering how our how God invites our bodies to um to be a part of it because our because the Christian faith can be very very heady so it can and it's sort of weird when you actually start thinking about some of the things that Christians have done and believed and enacted for mm-hmm. like two millennia it's strange that christianity can be can be very heady right um and i don't know if that's sort of like maybe it's protestantism i don't know mm-hmm. um because when you look at like the eastern church it's there's a lot of involvement of people's bodies in the liturgy even right right yeah um, and the same thing, I think, in the Catholic Church with seven sacraments, there's, I don't know, there's a, and, and, and sort of a, a, a higher sense of, of the mass of like. Right, of ritual, um, not just where we have like sola scriptura, right? It's yeah, just, yeah. So I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't know if it's that and maybe Protestants are starting to try to reclaim some of that. Like, you know, there's a bit more of a fascination around um, like actual spiritual practices that are not just in the head spiritual practices. Yeah. Exactly. People are longing for it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. This has been really rich, Robin. Um, and I really appreciate your, your time and your wisdom and expertise in all of this. Um, now I know you'd mentioned, uh, right near the beginning, you also do metal smithing. And so yeah. I want people to go and check out what you do because it's really beautiful. Thanks. Um, That's great. That you put out there. So if you can, like quickly tell people if they're trying to, if they tell people a little bit about that. And if they're, if they're interested, they can, there's places online, they can go and see some of your work, which is. Yeah. So I have a website, like it's in my online store. It's robinmagali.com. So if you see this podcast, it's my name is there. So um, yeah, that's fairly simple. Uh, way to see my work so um, yeah I'm an artist I work in I work in metal and uh, really see that as my my spiritual practice um, so yeah I think people can go back to that uh, yeah, we podcast about that, we did on that one yeah tell people really quickly like the kinds of things that you make like what are yeah well I mostly make jewelry um, I do some work that will, you know, can be on the wall kind of thing, but it's mostly, it's mostly, mostly jewelry, um, rings and necklaces and that kind of thing. Um, I often reflect that I, I just love working in metal. Like it's more about working with the metal. It's not necessarily, I love making jewelry. Um, it just happens to be that. And I think, I mean, people, some people love wearing the symbols or things that, uh, that express themselves. And, um, I usually, 
my work I usually re do reflect on, like I usually write, do some poetry or something to explore its meaning. So that kind of adds to the story, the story of it as well. Do you put that anywhere or is that just sort of with when someone buys something, they get a little something or? No, well, it would be on the posting online with oh, it. Okay. Um, yeah, or when I post something new on, you know, I usually post my things on Facebook and there's reflection about it there. Um, Robin Magali metalsmithing is my Facebook okay, cool. thing, handle, whatever. Yeah. Well, and you're, yeah, you're a good follow on Instagram because uh, I, I think, well, I think like art is actually a fun thing to follow on Instagram in general. And this is, your pieces are really unique and, and uh, beautiful. So I'd, uh, I'd encourage people to go find you if they're interested in sort of just checking that out, seeing what it's about. It's hard to explain in audio. So people really need to just go and see. Yeah. And if they're interested, they, they can get in touch with you for sure. Yeah, that's great. I use a lot of natural elements. So yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, it was a pleasure. I love exploring labyrinths and helping people to understand it more deeply. So um, yeah, this was awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay, we are not done. Uh, we actually have a, a little more coming up here. I know it sounded like we ended the interview and we did. Um, but often uh, what happens is we, I, I usually just hit the stop button on the, uh, on the call. Um, and then... Often there's a couple of minutes of just kind of chatting and just sort of uh, whatever. Um, but Robin just kind of continued the conversation, which was great. And we just were talking about like fascinating things or, or things that maybe would normally just be kind of off air. Um, and so partway through, as she started talking, I was like, this is really interesting. And and I just hit the record button and then she kind of saw that and we just sort of went with that and, and ended up recording a little bit more about labyrinths and maybe something that uh, uh well is it like maybe a little more esoteric <laughs> that we might not have normally recorded um and i just thought you know what i'm gonna put this in the episode anyway uh which is probably why this ended up being two parts really just because we ended up with uh with a, a few more minutes of uh of content um and it was kind of fascinating to to just explore a couple of other ideas around the labyrinth and some of the the darker side of things um, that might uh, that where some of the origins, but also some of like how a darker side of a life might come up in the midst of walking labyrinths. So, yeah, uh, get ready for this. This is kind of a an interesting conversation that we had that was a post conversation. Uh, so here we go. Oh, you're recording. <laughs> So the Chart Labyrinth has a, had in bronze this depiction of the Minotaur in the center of the labyrinth. Really? Yes, really. And it was during the war that they took it out because they used the metal for, you know, making a bomb or, or like metal casings of gun bullets. Like, so, but like an actual statue? It, no, it was just a plate oh. that covered the center and there was a depiction kind of painted on or done in relief or something, uh, repoussé or something like that in the, in the metal. Um, so it just was covering the center of the labyrinth flat on the ground. So it's just an interesting, I mean, it links to the story of Theseus and the Minotaur and how even the Christian tradition saw wisdom within these classical myth stories, right? But I think it's a really fascinating, you know, we as modern people tend to, we walk the labyrinth and in the center, we want this beautiful, lovely, just peace-filled experience. 
Whereas medieval people had more of a sense of they're walking into somewhere actually a bit dark, like moving into their, and I, I've explored this with some people that when they, when they do walk the labyrinth and, and they do feel like their inner life, their own inner life because of their own shame or their, or what's gone on for them is scary. And so encountering that, mm, that inner, inner demon, like it's hard to talk about, I think. Like we don't, I don't use this language good, like well, <laughs> but encountering that deep, dark part of ourselves that needs to be overcome or needs to be slain and then moving out of that labyrinth. I mean, that's a very powerful way of exploring, um, not just to say, well, I'm receiving this lovely little gift that I'm going back into my life to integrate, but rather I've really transformed my whole way of being and I'm returning back into this, into the world, having um, really encountered, you know, that inner part of me that I'm scared of. Um, I think, I, you know, that is a lot of people's story these days, you know, people who, who uh, suffer with depression, or as I said, they're somehow their story is filled with shame. Um, it's, it's really real. So anyway, so it, when, when I work with people who that is what's going on for them, then I, then we start talking about that and, right. and that being the metaphor for, for what their journey needs to be about. It's really about the hero's journey, like all of Joseph yeah, yeah. Campbell's work around the hero's journey. That's the flow of the labyrinth, right? You're entering mm -hmm. in, you're, you're encountering what's going on. You're, you're journeying back out. You are the hero on your own journey kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is the, uh, wow. Like the whole other thing. <laughs> it is a whole other thing. Um, and just to add to this, what I also find really quite cool about the Chart Labyrinth, so I read somewhere that the number of stones in the Chart Labyrinth corresponds with the number of days of um, the normal length of gestation of a baby in the womb. Wow. Yeah. So that whole thing about the Labyrinth being about um, a portal to new life, right? Yeah. About so it's the journey could be from this life to the next, or maybe it's a rebirth. Maybe it's that, that birth wow. canal, that rebirth. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of potential ways to explore um, all those, all those pieces. Yeah. The thing about the hero's journey is really interesting to me. Like as you were talking about that and cause some people will automatically kind of go, uh, okay, what were the medieval Christians doing? Mm -hmm. Like putting Greek mythology into, into their cathedral Although we, that's what they did. There was a, there that was, that's the what the Renaissance is. If you look yeah. at all the, if you do art history and the right. sculptures and everything, the Christian church was reclaiming um, the, the classical stories. Um, yeah. and somehow it's, it spoke to them. So yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think when there's objection to that, I like to refer people, uh, often it's, uh, I like to refer people to C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm -hmm. who were massive fans of mythologies exactly, and, and then used like created new mythologies essentially to tell uh, the deep stories that are told in the scriptures. Exactly. Right? That's exactly, exactly what those two were doing. And not only is that, that it's not just an interpretation of what they did. Lewis and Tolkien talked about the fact that that's what they were doing. 
Right. They knew it. They were intentionally they, they doing were it. Intentionally doing that. So were the so were the medieval Christians. They were intentionally doing it because exactly. they they found meaning in it. it yeah. Really so they did. were taking those stories and saying, "Let's reinterpret these yep. and understand these in light of mm-hmm. our faith in Christ." Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I find that super powerful. And we do that all the time when when ministers preach on a film or preach right. on a book. That's what exactly what you're doing. You're taking this this yeah. myth, not not false. I'm saying like myth in terms of a, a story that that reflect that has meaning. I mean, in some ways, walking the labyrinth, you're creating your own myth. Yeah. Mm. Right. You're that's creating your own myth story. To yeah. that's adding meaning. That's creating meaning for your life. Yeah. 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 So, um, my daughter and I, uh, well, and my wife too, uh, the three of us, we are, we, we are reading the Hobbit together mm-hmm. right now. Um, so that's my, one of my favorite books. It's that, so I tell people a story as someone who like, so I write uh, fantasy mm-hmm. adventure books, right? So this is yeah. my, now we're going to get into my thing. You can, yeah, great. <laughs> 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 um, so, um, and I tell this story where the Hobbit was the first book I ever read that I wanted to read again. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I liked books until I read The Hobbit. Cool. Like, oh, that's amazing. But right. um, the the title of The Hobbit is The Hobbit or There and Back Again. Right. And oh. uh, isn't that interesting? And it's, it is really the hero's cool. journey and you talking about this facing your inner demon. So we just read the part where mm. Bilbo is down in the depths of the mountain and he meets Gollum. And gets the ring, which ends up being sort of his source of salvation, but also ends up being the source of this great power and terrible power and terrible pain as well. And has been the source of pain for Gollum. So fascinating to hear you mention that and sort of in the context of Greek mythology. um, But Tolkien used that as sort of the... um, the way of talking about this, this hero's journey. And he's an unexpected hero, right? Like he's sort of the regular, he's an everyman. Yeah. Essentially who just goes on this crazy adventure. um, And that's sort of this deep, dark part of it is, is, is there. So, yeah, but it's interesting that it's there and back again. He's in a labyrinth. He's, he's there, he's going there and he's going back again. Like he's, he's, and in the end, like, obviously he's not, fully there like he goes and has to face off against a dragon right yeah like, so basically he's gonna go and and face the dragon right um, yeah it's a hero that's, that's awesome i love that link that's yeah. that's yeah. amazing yeah so that's a lot of fun so i'm gonna be thinking i'll be thinking about like these i never really would have put together like uh hero's journey and labyrinth and mm-hmm. the hobbit so thank you for doing that i'm glad right. i hit record again after yeah. a little little break there be a little epilogue or something there we go, there we go. Yeah. Thanks again. Great. Thanks. Okay. Uh, anything else you wanted to, that's popping into your head that you're like, Oh, uh, no, I think that's we covered everything now. Well, you know, I do like a five day course. So if you want the longer version okay. with, with way more experience, go, you know, you can seek out the expressive arts program at Fleming college, but yeah. Uh, anyway, is that, so is that, that's where people can do something like that? Yeah. I should ask that instead of in, I, I mean, I'm happy to point people to your art and. Right. Oh, well, that's great too. cool. Yeah. So once you. But if people the- want to learn more, like where, like, what do they do? Well, that's a really good question. Um, yeah. I mean, there is the, the course that I do uh, through the Halliburton School of Art and Design, Fleming College. Um, uh, where, where is that? It's in Halliburton. Halliburton is in Ontario. Um in kind of just south of the Muskokas. 
Okay, so keeping in mind that, you know, someone might be in Australia right now listening to this. Right, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think again, in Canada. So. What we've already mentioned, Veritas is the best website to go yeah. to to get more information and to see more of what's going on. Um, Lauren Archerist runs programs or her apprentices run programs all around the world. Um, so she she's, you know, learning from her is learning from the master. Um, so that would be the best way to go. Okay. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like there's tons here, like, um, that people can really benefit from actually learning from somebody or, or learning in a group setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head where things are happening. There are, there's a listing of, uh, labyrinth facilitators online. Um, so people can see if there's someone in their area or just, you know, you just kind of see where things are going on, but yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Okay. Friends. I hope you enjoyed that little extra bit at the end there and this whole conversation, uh, with Robin Magali, uh, what a gift and a blessing to be able to have this conversation with her. Uh, that's a former classmate of mine from seminary, and uh, it's been really cool to reconnect with her uh, around this conversation around labyrinths and also some of her work in metalsmithing as well. Um, yeah, so I encourage you to go and check her out, check out her website. You can find uh, connections to her work and what she does, and also some things around labyrinths, like uh, Veritas, which she mentioned on the website, so on spiritualityfordinarypeople.com. Also, if you're finding these conversations helpful or enjoyable, uh, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, and or also just be in touch with me at uh, matt at mattbruff.com. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you if uh, you've got questions, or just if you've got a comment about uh, these podcasts. Thanks for listening today and take care.